I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Hebrews chapter number 9. Hebrews chapter number 9. As we were looking through chapter 7 and 8, our great high priest and how he's better than the Aaronic priesthood, we then transcended into chapter 9 and talked about the first covenant and the ordinance of the service there and the worldly sanctuary and the tabernacle that was made and there was the holy place and the holy of holies and we talked about the restrictiveness of it the priest could only go into the holy place the high priest could only go into the holy of holies once a year and it said now when all these things were thus ordained the priests went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God but into the second went the high priest alone once every year and not without blood which he offered for himself and the errors of his people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing, and then reminded us that this is a type of figure, which was a figure of the time then present. And so it talks about the things that were done in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. So we were dealing last time with the blood of Christ and we're continuing to deal with the blood of Christ versus the uh, blood of bulls and goats and the things that they did. So we were ending last time we ended with these verses but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once and we emphasized that last time into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more we are contrasting the old with the new here as we transcend into more on the blood of Christ. The blood of bulls and goats and calves, nope, that's not what gets it. But it was his own blood that he entered into the holy place just once. He's never going to have to do it again. 
For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. And we talked about that purity. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So we see there the contrast. Now we come down to verse number 15, which is where we begin today in this uh, continuing of chapter 9. And we are going to look at the covenant or the testament. Now listen to what he says here. And for this cause he, Jesus Christ, the verse above, is the mediator of the New Testament. The word testament means a contract or a covenant. It has to do with setting in order, okay? And so we see that there's a new, and we have an old and a new testament. The old covenant, the old way that God set it up, and then the New Testament, whereas everything in the old pictured what would happen in the new, which is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, the first covenant, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Okay, so let's take a look at a couple things here. First of all, in verse number 15, the first part, and for this cause, because of what we read up above, how much better his blood is, and how he was able to offer himself without spot to God through his blood, purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God and redeem us. For this cause, he is the mediator, a go-between, a reconciler. So we see here reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is a mutual agreement. We are reconciled to a holy God. This is probably the most incredible thing about salvation is that God is holy, holy, holy. That uh, of all of the things that are said, and, and holiness is the very essence of God. It's, it's beyond part of his characteristics and attributes. It is the very essence of who he is. And so the attributes are never said thrice. You don't ever see God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or grace, 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 or righteous, righteous, righteous. But that essence of who he is, the, they, they ascribe it to him at the throne. He is holy, holy, holy. And how in the world can a pure, holy God have a sinful being living in heaven? Well, back in eternity past, before there ever was a creation or an Adam and Eve, before the foundations of the world, Ephesians talks about what God came with in the past and what Jesus came to do in the present and what the Holy Spirit is in our lives as we are sealed until the day of redemption, and he is the earnest, the down payment of that future part of our salvation, which is when we have a glorified body. Not only that, but because of 
what God said could happen through Christ's shed blood, when we get saved, we have been delivered from the debt of sin, okay, the penalty of sin. We no longer have the debt of sin. We no longer have the penalty of sin. But now that Christ is in us and the Holy Spirit is in us, we now in the present tense have power over sin. We're dead to it. So not only do we see that we're free from the debt and the penalty, but we've been dead to sin and have the power to overcome it, Romans chapter number 6. So when we sin, we are sinning because we're not paying attention to what we're doing and staying in the Word, or we're just rebelling and openly sinning. And then the future is the deliverance out of this world and out of this horrible body that decays, and we will be saved from the very presence of sin. So we see that God has to be satisfied, reconciled. We have to be reconciled to him. How did he do that? How is it that he mutually agrees? Because the Bible says there is one mediator between God and man. There's one go-between, one reconciler, one person that could bring us together and hook us up, and that is Jesus Christ. And if you will look at that word, the word mediator, and you look at the verse that I am talking about, you will see that that verse in 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Thank the Lord for our Messiah, Jesus Christ. He is the reconciler through his blood. Now when God sees me, he sees on my account in my record through the purchase of the blood of Christ, he sees Christ's righteousness. I don't go to heaven on my righteousness. There's filthy rags. I go on his righteousness, which have been imputed on my account. And therefore, I have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we see. For this cause, because of who he is in the verses above that we have gone through, he is the mediator, and there is no other, of the New Testament, and there is no other, that by means of death, okay, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, that's back in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, that they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. See, what that high priest did every year only pushed sins forward. It never dealt with them. It never removed them. It never brought us into that holy, holy, holy where God would be satisfied. Christ is the one who through this New Testament had the power 
by virtue of his death to do what the first covenant couldn't do. And that is redeem. Redeem man. The word redemption here is the word apolutrosis. And it means to ransom in full and deliver. To let go free because you have been paid for. You are no longer captive. You are set free from sin. The picture is an awesome picture of a release, a deliverance, a paying in full. Now, there are several words to this lutrosis. This is apolutrosis, which means to set free and to ransom. But there's also, as we've talked about before, agarazo and exagarazo, which talks about redeem. And agarazo is to make a purchase in the marketplace. And exagarazo, when you put ex, it is out of. So it is to take and purchase out of the marketplace. So the picture is that Christ on the cross went into the marketplace of sin and made a purchase. And when we by faith, for by faith are you saved, by, or for by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we trust Christ on what he did for us, because we couldn't do it through his shed blood because of our sins, then we have been bought and paid for already on the cross. That's Agarazzo. But now by our faith, he has now taken us because we are now a child of God. We have been birthed into his family. We're no longer of this world. He has taken us out of the marketplace through the redemption, lutrosis, apolutrosis, ransomed in full to break the chains of sin and set us free. So he is the one who is the reconciler. He reconciled, and he is the redeemer with redemption. And we, because of that, he was able to go back and finish what the first covenant could never finish. That's why there had to be the Messiah. They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance an heir, and remember, we're an heir and a joint heir of Jesus Christ, which then brings us from there to the fact that there must be a removal or a death for this to take place, for us to be an heir. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator, okay, the one who made this uh, uh, covenant. Well, Jesus died on the cross. He died to make that in force. But then he did what nobody else could do. He then resurrected so he could then fulfill it in us through his death, burial, and resurrection. And it goes on and explains what we know in our earthly world. I have a, a will, a last, what's called a last will and testament, and it, it means nothing right now. It's in a fireproof 
uh, safe so that if something were to happen, we wouldn't lose it in the burning up. And until there is a death of me, that is null and void. There is nothing that can be done. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So we see here that there must needs be the death of the testator. Jesus Christ died. But as God, he had power to lay his life down and power to pick it back up. Then we see this. We see the cause. Uh, we've seen the contrast, the covenant. Now we see the cause. I mean, what, what I mean by that is the need of or the reason. And the first thing we see is the example of Moses. The example of Moses. And when we look at the example of Moses, the first thing I want you to notice is what he said. Look at verses 18 through 20. Whereupon neither the first testament back in the days of the Old Testament and the covenant that God made there, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. That's not the way it was. There was blood. It was, it was consecrated with blood, not without. For when Moses had spoken every precept, every single prescription, commandment, every injunction, every inscription of Scripture, to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book, that's the law, and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament, the covenant, the old covenant, which God hath enjoined unto you. The word enjoined there has everything to do with given charge to, okay, to act upon. Now, here we see what he said. He said this is the way it was back in the old covenant. This is how it was. And even though it was not perfect and needed to keep pushing forward, it was not done without blood. So not only what he said, but then also what he did or what he showed. We showed here that he sprinkled the book and the people. Verse 21, moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of ministry. Why? Because, verse 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. There's no forgiveness. There's no pardon. There's nothing. So when we take a look at this, Moses sprinkled the blood. He, he went and he did that on the actual tabernacle and all the things in it. And in the law, almost everything is cleansed by the means of blood. I mean, it's not everything, but it's almost everything. And when there is no shedding of blood, you cannot have that merited uh, 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 removal of sin. There's no release. You still have the guilt, and you still have everything there. And so it is important that we understand that. The shedding of blood. 
Now, people get mad, and they, they don't like it, and they say, I, you know, uh, it's, it's a bloody religion. Well, it, no, it's not a bloody religion. The Bible says in Hebrews, the life of the flesh is in the blood. You know, a lot of cancers are blood cancers. The one that I have is a blood plasma cancer. And it causes problems in that it steals calcium from your body to feed on. And therefore, your bones begin to break. The cancer itself doesn't even hurt. You wouldn't know it was there. It's the result of it that causes the problems. So we see the uh, example of Moses. Now we look at the excellence of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And in verse number 23, we see a contrast between two things. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The patterns, the Old Testament things that were patterns of things in the heavens, things that would shadow and picture what Christ would do, should be purified with these, which is the things up above. Those things should have been purified. But in contrast, the heavenly things themselves are done with better sacrifices than these. And here's the reason why. The next contrast. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, that's the priest went into the holy place. The high priest went into the holy of holies. And it was made, that tabernacle was a tent. It was made. They were told how to make it in Exodus. He said, they're just figures of the true. Okay? Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. So the contrast is between the figures of the true in the tent, the tabernacle, Versus Christ going into heaven itself now to appear, to be manifest, to be seen in the very presence of God. Now, if I stopped right there, that right there would be enough to shout on. But I left out two words that we need to see because it says here we are contrasting Christ who did not go into that earthly tabernacle and those places made with hands of men, but he went into the very heaven where Christ is and to appear in the presence of God for us. Think about that. If you'll go to Romans chapter number 8, look at verse number 26, verse number 34, and then verse 31. The, inter the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Verse 34, Christ intercedes for us. Verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Here we see the contrast. They went into the holy place and did the service. The high priest once a year went into the holy of holies, but never could accomplish anything. Never was in the actual heaven where God is. But Christ is, he's in heaven now to appear the presence of God, and he's doing it for us. Not only the contrast of that, verse 25 and 26, 
we see also the contrast of repetition versus once for all. Because it ends with a, sem- with a colon. It says, nor yet that he should offer himself often. Nope. Christ didn't do that. As the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. That's not the way it worked. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Boy, I tell you what, I like that. There it is. By the means of what he did one time, it accomplished everything. He would have to have done it over and over again if he would have been like the ones on earth. What would there be any need of a difference? We read that in the last time. Since the foundation of the world, it would have just been over and over and over again. Remember in chapter 6, you have crucified Christ again? You can't do that because he is the once for all. We read that in the earlier part of the chapter last time. And he is able, because of that once-for-all sacrifice, to put away and get rid of sin. As far as the east is from the west, has he done that? And then lastly, we see the comparison of once. Now, look at this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, in like manner, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Wow. How about that, folks? It was uh, very much so. Just like men have to die and then go to their judgment, it is absolutely certain that Christ one time bore the sins of many, that you and I who know him and look for him, he will come not to deal with our sin, but to bring us to a full salvation, which just simply means this, that we will have the completed glorified body and we will be removed from the presence of sin where we will live with him forever and forever and forever. A full salvation. The part that we are waiting for right now is that expectant hope of his soon return. When we will be raised incorruptible and immortal and we will have a glorified body like Christ has and we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And my friend, we look forward to that last day. We have the past, we have the present, we have the Holy Spirit reminding us of the future. But one day, because of what Christ did, one time, we will get it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a blessing it is. We praise your name. We lift up hands to you and say we couldn't have done a thing But you did it all, and all to you we owe. We love you and thank you in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying you have a wonderful week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his
precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every word is true Oh, I believe every word that he said is true I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do How I love his precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every You've been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.